Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Marketing, Management, and Money. I am your host, Ryan Murray. And I am Ethan Migliori. So today, uh, we want to dive into talking about different generations in business. Uh, and, and what we mean by that is that you know, you've got people who are first-generation business owners, people who are second-generation business owners, people who are third-generation business owners. I mean, you can go beyond third, but we're really going to stick to just you know, kind of that one, two, three. But there, there are different, different uh, attitudes, different approaches that each of these levels of entrepreneurs have. And there are different approaches of each of, you know, what these entrepreneurs should have. Like if, if you treat them all the same, you're going to screw up your business. And so we're, we're going to dive into that a lot today. And before any listeners bounce, we're not talking just about family owned businesses. So we want to put that out there in front. Yes, you could be in a family owned business and be multiple generations down, but ultimately we're looking at the ownership of the company, not uh, the relationship of the company, whether it's family or not. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because you could be second generation, meaning that you bought the business. Correct. Uh, but it's going to be different. You know, if you inherit a business, you're going to have kind of a, a different mindset because you grew up in this business. You've seen how things have operated. You usually have something to prove. You're like, I'm not going to do what my dad did. You know, but if you buy the business, it's much more transactional, it's much more business. And the other thing that's interesting is when you're inheriting a business, like you don't have a lot of options. You get what you get. But if you're going to go buy a business, I mean, money's money. You can go out and spend your money and, you know, you can buy a, a little boutique on Main Street or you could go buy, you know, uh, like a, a newspaper media company. Like, like, I mean, you can buy whatever you feel like buying. So, so and those are the types of nuances that, uh, that, that we're going to be talking about when we when we get into this. So um Ethan I I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind uh give us give us your take uh you know I mean you you've had a lot of experience with uh, these different generational businesses let's go big picture you know 30,000 foot view kind of what's going on at at each level here. Well let me share just a few stats because this is really fascinating and for most people they shake their head and they go how is it even possible but but stats don't lie and there's plenty of data out there to show it. So when you look at first generation businesses, people who have just put all their sweat, blood and tears into it, as you say, uh, the survival rate is about what you normally see for failures of businesses. What's interesting though, is when you get to the second generation, you have a compounding factor that uh, the second generation, about 30% of those businesses survive after the first generation by the time you get to the third generation, it's down to about 12%. And then when you get into uh, companies that have been through multiple ownership changes by the fourth generation, it's 3%. So, so you, the farther you it, get in there, it's it, getting worse. It gets worse. It compounds as you do it because you have a lot of history, culture, uh, other problems with the business infrastructure. I mean, there could be a thousand things that add into this. So I'm not going to go into the details of that. Just so just know that as you're looking to purchase a business, inherit a business, or take over a business, that uh, you, you'll want to understand where you kind of fit into that, because you'll need to be a little bit more cautious as you move forward to make sure that you, you don't make mistakes that are uh, already slated against you. And I think that's a great place to really start with this, because there's, there's this idea that once I'm established, it's easier. 
you know, once I'm established, then, oh, well, now we've got customers and now we've got cash flow and everything is going to work for us. And, and, and so it, it makes it a lot, you know, seemingly easier, but there are definitely, definitely challenges. And so I'm hoping we're going to get into a little bit of like why those failure rates start to just well, just drop. Let, let's stick with your point right there, which is really fascinating that I'm buying an existing business. I'm buying the clients and the customers and I have the workforce and I have a, well, here's the problem. What if they don't like you over the original owner? <laughs> Guess that's a huge mistake that most people make that they assume that I'm buying a clientele and the workforce is coming with it. And then the, you know, the sales will be there, but that's a huge mistake to make because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we do business because of the individual that is there at the time. Mm-hmm. So you can't make that mistake. So right there, you brought up in your in your point there, the number one mistake that people make is that mindset that, oh, I already have current customers. No, you still have to earn their trust, just mm-hmm. like you do anything else with an original cell. Yeah. And, and I think that there's a big difference here in understanding, like, if I'm a, you know, if I'm more of a traditional small business, as opposed to say a franchise business, right? When, when, when I go to, and I'm going to use the example of restaurants because this is very typical in restaurants. When I go to a franchise restaurant, I don't actually care who the owner is. Uh, there's, there's no real personal touch. I mean, I might, I might have a server that I relate well with and, and, you know, like I appreciate their service, but Ultimately, I'm going for the franchise experience. They put together a very consistent experience. And so I can go into a different city, eat at that same, you know, uh, same chain restaurant and have a very similar experience. But if this is more of a traditional mom and pop or, you know, kind of eclectic type restaurant, then you better believe that people are connected to who the owner is and what the owner brings to the table. And then you get new ownership. And I mean, sometimes that's an improvement, but a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, where's the charm? And, and you know, like they used to have such a fun personality and, and now it's all about business and they're changing things. You know, it just, it's different. And then that's hard for customers to swallow. They don't like different. So before we jump too far, my thoughts are ranging that we probably ought to just point out for those that are first generation business owners, uh, common mistakes that you're going to make or to watch out for. Um, or that you're going to see if you're a second generation as you're looking at first generation. So just a couple of things to kind of watch out for, and then maybe we can mind and maybe move through the second and the third. And I know we're going to bounce. We always bounce. We- <laughs> no, we're super consistent. <laughs> we chase a lot of squirrels and that's okay. But <laughs> So on first generation, uh, we find there's a mindset in there that, and, and it's not wrong, but sometimes it can lead to problems. And that is that hard work can fix anything. Mm. that, you know, if I just, if I just work harder, which is why a lot of, uh, and honestly, why a lot of first generation businesses do succeed is because they're so invested into it. So there's some truth to that. However, what I find is the fault with that is that they also say, well, you know, hard work will solve everything. So I don't need outside advisors. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's another mistake that they make is that they're not pulling in the expertise in those areas that they're a little bit weak in or soft. So don't don't make those two mistakes if you're a first generation business owner. Can, can I add to uh, a point here, and, and that is this idea of you know hard work will solve everything. As a startup, you can make a lot of mistakes, and you can powerhouse your way through those mistakes. 
You know, if, if you, yeah. if you launch something, you know, like you launch a new product and, and maybe, maybe it's got some bugs in it, but you're a startup and people kind of expect that a little bit. They're more tolerant of that. And, you know, it's like, oh, we're innovative. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're on the, uh, the bleeding edge, uh, as I like to call it. I mean, everyone says the leading edge, but I'm like, that's where you bleed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the blood of the blood, sweat and tears happening right there, you know, but, you know, as as a first generation, if you've got this powerhouse mentality, it tends to pull you away from looking at the business and thinking about the business and being intelligent. You know, using those financial statements as a tool, not just a tax return. You know, using like how much training do you do that has nothing to do with your product or service? First generations, they tend to be more concerned about learning more about their product and service, but they don't take the time to learn management techniques. They don't take the time to learn, you know, about how to do marketing. They just, they just push, 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 push. It's, it's a very, you know, a type personality, get it done kind of, and I know I'm stereotyping here. Not every, you know, startup is an a type personality, but but they gravitate toward that. That's that's a, a an approach, and I guess what we're saying is you don't you don't have to have that A type personality. Like it's it's okay to you know to to factor in other characteristics. And and we see it uh, being compounded because a lot of first generation, especially if it's a family owned business, that principle of tough love, hmm. right? <laughs> that that. As a parent, they're always harder on their kids and other employees, but sometimes that leads to other problems as well. So keep that in mind that 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 hard work and that pushing forward and that uh, type A personality that is very headstrong also tends to exhibit um, very tough love towards any family members. Or uh, if you're looking at someone who's even looking maybe to uh, take over some ownership of that company as you say, Hey, look, I'm, I want to move out of it. I want to put my business up. You, you tend to be harder on them because you expect you have higher expectations of them. So, uh, in, which also leads into, you know, chasing a squirrel. And that is the second generation. Uh, they have frustration with that tough love because they feel like they've been criticized so much. So, okay. Look, Let's talk about this a little bit. You know, what do, what do you mean when you say they feel like they've been criticized so much? And I know we're stereotyping, but what are we thinking? Um, if, if I'm only hearing, hey, you could have done better or, hey, you, you need to push more sales out. Um, and, it's not, and it's not the fact that the owner or that uh, parent, if it's a family-owned business, is, is trying to uh, drive them out of the business. They just have such high expectations because they want the business to go on and on and on that, that they're trying to prepare that next generation to be ready. And so, so they tend to be overly critical. And, and, and so the tough love principle comes out and all of a sudden now it just feels like, it doesn't matter what I do. I can't do it right. Mm-hmm. If I'm a second generation, which leads to problems. Yeah. 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 So you used a word there that um, I, I really want to hone in on, and that's expectations. You know, you talked about criticism. And for me, 
I would expand that and I would say not only is there, you know, the, the, this tendency for for criticism and 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 the pendulum swings both ways. Like there's over criticism and then there's under criticism. It's like, well, you know, they're my sons, so they can't do anything wrong, you know. Oh, my daughter, she's perfect. She would never make that mistake, you know. And and whether we're doing it consciously or subconsciously, like that pendulum's swinging and it's really hard to get it balanced. But these expectations, and this is this is something that I think is on both sides. The original owner has expectations. You know, well, this is how the business has always been run. Correct. I mean, th- this this is where we got our success. You can't you can't deviate from that because if you deviate from that, the business will fail. The business will fail. Yeah. You know, and, and so the owner is going to have some expectations. But then the next generation, whether that's you know uh, you know whether that's an inherited situation or a purchase situation, I'm going to deviate or I'm going to distinguish between those two in just a second here. But the other person has some expectations coming in. You know, that second generation is they've got to prove something. And I see this time and time again where they're just like, I'm not going to do things the way they did things. And and it's this, you know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater concept of like, well, clearly everything they did was wrong. I'm like, no, a lot of things they did were right or else this business would be out of business and you wouldn't be interested in taking it over, you know. Yeah, excellent point. And and I think that second generation, they have a hard time distinguishing between what was good and what was bad. And probably to be more clear, they have a hard time appreciating all of the good that that was brought to the table and really being grateful for that, showing gratitude, showing humility of like, you know what, you really did a good job of building up this company. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for that. And, And so, you know, that's kind of on the inherited side, I want to talk about, you know, purchasing the business. The same thing happens, but it happens to a different degree. You know, someone comes in to purchase the business, their tendency is to look at, you know, like the the financials and find all the things that are wrong with it. Like, oh my gosh, how could they be in business? They're carrying so much inventory. Like these guys are idiots. They had no idea, you know, and, and I'm like, well, okay, what are they doing right Maybe they're really good at their receivables and that's offsetting the, you know, the, the cash flow issues from the inventory. So sure, you can clean up the, the inventory, but maybe you could learn something from how they do collections. You know, and, and so I think that second generation tends to neglect or ignore all of the successes that have happened from a first generation and only look at the problems and things that, that can be improved and should be improved. Yeah, I find that they get into the mentality that we're going to work smarter, not harder. Mm. And and so if it's a family-owned scenario, then that's exactly what they try to do. Well, I don't want to work as hard as them. I want to work smarter. If I'm purchasing something, then by working smarter, what do I do? I try to implement a whole bunch of technology uh, or ways to be what we feel are more efficient. So it causes problems as well, instead of what you've, you've nailed it right on the head. And that is, no, look at the successes of the company, what has done really well. Um, and build upon those while you slowly work to clean up some of the other stuff. Don't, yes, I, there's a way to be more efficient in every business and uh, we can become complacent, but don't get stuck in the, I need to work smarter. I have to work smarter because it, uh, it you'll, you'll throw the baby out with the bathwater to say, and you'll lose something valuable because you just discredited it. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is what I find interesting about that whole concept of working smarter Second generation tend to bring, uh, you know, more of book smarts and theory yes. to the table yes. um, and, and less of school of hard knocks. So that first generation, they've been down in the ditches. The problem is that both of these add value, 
And if you neglect one, either one, you know, like first generation has a hard time acknowledging the book smarts. You know, I hear all the time from first generation. It's like, what, you learned that in school? You're going to try and, you know, implement all this stuff that you've never really even done. And, and they, you know, they make fun of people for being intelligent and educated. And then on the flip side, you know, when, when someone who comes in, who is, you know, formally educated. And when I say formally, you know, we think of you know, like university education, but it could be, you know, that you you're well-read. It could be that you've been mentored. Like there are, there are other ways of getting formal education. Right. And so when they come in, they tend to think that anything like that, there's no exceptions to the rule. Well, you know, I read this in a book and this is how Nike became huge. So clearly it's going to work for us. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you're a bakery. What, what does that have to do with Nike? You know, <laughs> like, like recognize the fact that, that the owner has figured out a few things and, and before you start changing things, understand them first. Yeah, it, it's very, very common for someone with the mentality, especially if you're purchasing a business. So if you're looking to buy a business, uh, this is for you. And this is going to be where you get offended. Um, you, you come in with a, I wouldn't be buying it if I didn't know what I was doing attitude. Yeah. And that's a bad attitude to come in with. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, is you and I have both set in various situations where people are looking to buy a business and we point out a few things. All of a sudden they get this big head because oh, I see areas I can clean this up and be so much more successful that they've failed. No, that's not what we were trying to do mm -hmm. um, when, we, when we talk about things like that. So just be careful that, that as you come into it, especially if you're purchasing a business, we strongly counsel anyone to take time to understand it from that original owner's perspective. Yeah, uh, that that alone will allow you to make the appropriate changes instead of you just thinking that I know what I'm doing. That's why I'm buying the business. Well, and, and I think that there's an interesting thing that you pointed out here. You know, people come to the table and they're like, I know what I'm doing. You know, that's why I'm buying the business. Part of that know what they're doing is in order to have enough money to buy a business, you had to have done something right in your life. I mean, I guess you could have won the lottery or inherited it. Right. You know? but, right. but most of these people who are buying a business either like real estate is very common. They just cashed out on a real estate deal. And, and the interesting thing about real estate is real estate comes and goes in big movements. You know, like when I buy and sell property, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of money that, that, you know, changes hands. And, and then it kind of just settles down for a minute. Like if I'm collecting rent on, on a property, okay, big deal. You know, I'm collecting rent. It's not large sums, but if I'm selling a property, it's a large sum. So I come to the table and I'm like, well, I've been successful in real estate. I've been successful in investing or I've worked my entire life and now I have this huge nest egg for retirement. And, and, and so clearly I have expertise. And I'm like, yes, you do, but not necessarily in the business you're buying. And Correct. so don't, don't get overconfident thinking that because you, know, you understand real estate doesn't mean that you understand how to buy a locksmith, you know, like that's, that's, that's a business yeah. that maybe you know nothing about. Yeah. And, and going back to one of our original points, how the first generation uh, tends to not use outside advisors, second generation and third generation tend to use advisors. But one of those advisors should always be the original owner and or owners of the company. They mm -hmm. should be out there because they've seen a lot of things. They've been through it, uh, especially if they've been in business 20 plus years or more. 
50 years. Yeah. They've weathered a few downturns in the economy, uh, which tells you that they, they found ways to survive. Mm-hmm. And whether you like it or not, another downturn is going to come and it is going to affect your business and who better to consult with than someone who's been through some of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you brought in third generation because we've been, we've been heavy on first and second. And I want to start talking about some things with third generation. The first one that, that I want to point out is on, by the time third generation is coming along, the person either loves getting this business, like this is what they really want, or they hate getting this business, like they feel stuck and trapped. And, and I'm going to clarify this for just a second. So if it's an inheritance situation, you know, if the granddaughter is now taking over the business, first off, if you just think about natural human reproduction, and man, that was a weird way to say it. <laughs> it, it starts to grow. There's a lot more grandkids than there are kids. And, you know, it starts to create uh some some conflict in who should run the business, who's the most qualified. You know, people end up, you know, getting the business just because they're older. And I'm like, well, just because you're older doesn't mean that you have interest in this business or that you're qualified for it. Uh, I, I see, you know, people passing down business from generation to generation that they try and be fair. And they're like, well, we have to have a, a place for everybody. And I'm like, does everyone want to be there? I mean, maybe one of your grandkids actually wants to just go on to med school and not have anything to do with the family business. And, and you know, you need to provide a way to filter out who wants to be there and who doesn't want to be there. Don't do stupid stuff. I see all the time, you know, like this hierarchical, uh, patriarchal type, you know, idea with, with entrepreneurship that that's not a good, that's not a good way to move forward. Um, and, and then I also see like overly equitable, like everyone, I have five children and they all have 20%. I'm like, cool. So we can never, ever make a decision. Yeah. You know, like it's just, you, you got to be smart with how you, you know, give plenty of room for exit for people who don't want to be a third generation owner. And I often, when you get into third generation, that's great if someone wants to have some managerial leadership in it. But if you have, if you get into the scenario you talk about with lots of grandkids or something like that, just give them shares in the company, you know, take a public, do shares, <laughs> let them cash out that way. And then put some, you know, people who really love the business in the leader managerial leadership positions and we'll move that business to the next level. Don't, 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 yeah, don't try to make a spot for everybody. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Well, and that was what I was kind of talking about, you know, get people who really want to be there. So let's talk about the outside coming in. You know, we've been talking about inheriting the company. Well, on the outside coming in, at this point, if you're third generation, you better be looking for very qualified people. Like these are people, they've got extensive experience. They've got high levels of education. They're expensive, but, you know, these are people that you're now bringing in because this is what they have experience doing. This is what they've trained to do. This is where they see their career going. Those are the types of people that you need to have at a third generation. Gone are the days where you can just bring in your best friend and be like, hey, I need some help on this. You want to you wanna just figure this out with me? Like, like You've advanced too far in your business to still treat it that way. Yeah. The, when you get into the third generation, a lot of things are established, uh, practices, uh, procedures, 
uh, positions. A lot of things should be established. <laughs> should be established. <laughs> and they generally are for the most part. Well, yeah, good and bad. Maybe that's what I need to say. And so, you know, if you're if you're looking to purchase a, a business that's been through a couple of iterations like that, uh, that's the first thing you're going to want to do is actually look at all those procedures and practices and maybe bring in some experts, people who understand lean manufacturing, understand different processes uh, that, that can allow you to look at it from a different perspective. But a lot of times they're, they're pretty, they're running fairly well. It's just a matter of now as you come in, we need to fine tune it. Okay. We don't need mm-hmm. to make major changes. We're going to fine tune it. We're going to do it by uh, marginal gains, just small incremental gains consistently. That's where we're going to get a growth from generally in third generation businesses. Yeah. Now, I'm going to talk about a concept here and I'm kind of, I'm going to pull a few things. If I get too far distracted, just, just pull me back. in. But I want to talk about uh, risk mentality or risk tolerance would be the better way to say it for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And this really matters when you get to second and third generation is you've got to understand the risk tolerance of the people who are owning the company, not managing the company. Because as we were talking about at third generation, it's actually pretty intelligent to get qualified managers, you know, put them on a salary, give them, you know, just give them, give them a job and then put the ownership outside, you know, but, but you've got to understand the risk tolerance of, of the owners. And and so this is, this is the first point that I want to bring in with this. Good entrepreneurs are those who have nothing or have an abundance of excess resources. Bad entrepreneurs are the middle class. Middle class actually make really crappy entrepreneurs. And I started noticing this as I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs. The reason why someone who has nothing works really well is because they're not afraid of risk. They're like, well, you know what? If I lose it all, I got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose, you know? And so they'll go out there and they'll take these gambles and they'll not worry about it. And, and they'll actually do a really good job with that. People who have an abundance of resources, they're going to risk their abundance, but again, make sure that it's covered. And so, you know, if, if they're in a position where they can invest $100,000 and it doesn't affect their lifestyle, that actually makes a great entrepreneur because they can invest $100,000 and have it not affect their lifestyle. They're going to have a clearer head when they're putting that kind of money in. But if you've got somebody who, they can come up with $100,000. But if they lost this $100,000, it would severely affect their lifestyle. They're going to make crappy decisions because they have enough resources that they can think that they can move at that level, but they don't have enough resources that they can move at that level. And so they're risk averse. They don't, they don't take risk. And also someone who's in that middle class, they've lived a comfortable lifestyle. Like I I would argue that middle class is the most comfortable lifestyle. Uh, You know, upper class, people think it's a comfortable lifestyle. It's actually not. There's a lot of pressure. There's, there's a lot of expectation that's associated with it. You know, so middle class is probably the most comfortable of the lifestyle. And, you know, so lower class is not as comfortable. Um, Middle class is comfortable. Upper class, not as comfortable in a different way. You know, it's not like you're trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from, but you've got the social pressures, you've got, you know, high performance jobs that require a lot of skill, uh, high stress, those kinds of things going on. 
And so when you get these second and third generation that they grew up in a nice, comfortable environment, and all of a sudden they don't know what it means to lose. And so they don't have experience in losing, but they also are too afraid to lose. And they just don't have that right risk tolerance to be a smart entrepreneur. You know, as you were talking and you kept saying lifestyle, one thing that came to my mind is that as we look at, or if you're looking at a business, one thing to look at is, is that business become a lifestyle type business? Mm. Meaning uh, that makes complete sense to you. So I better clarify it. By a lifestyle business means that it generates enough money for me to put gas in my boat so I can go boating on Saturday. Outside of that, I don't care if I grow the business anymore because I become content. I have the lifestyle that I want. Even though I have room for growth, opportunity for growth, I get stuck in a lifestyle business because it's it's creating the lifestyle that I want. Those are excellent businesses to acquire if you're looking to purchase something. Uh, there's ways to figure that out and we don't have time to go into it today. Well, so we actually have an episode on lifestyle businesses oh, for those who are interested. Uh, it's It's been a little while. I think it was about a year ago that we did that episode on lifestyle businesses. Uh, so if you do want more information on that, like like you said, we're not going to go into that today, but we do have that content. Good. So yeah, so keep that in mind that uh, lifestyle businesses, search out that podcast, uh, excellent information. I'm sure you had in that one as well. Probably not as good as what I would share if I would have helped do it. Cle- clearly. <laughs> so so we're going to, we're going to we do a- end before I say something else that makes someone else. <laughs> we're going to do another one on lifestyle business. It'll be the exact same, <laughs> same thing, but this will have Ethan's touch. So we'll, we'll make sure. To include that. Which is better than the Midas touch. <laughs> Anyway, so you're talking about, you know, lifestyle businesses and generation all and I've uh, lost my whole train of thought now. You ruined it for me. So yeah. Our last squirrel of the day, I, I guess. I, I ruined it clearly. <laughs> no, we, we were talking about um if you get a situation where someone is a lifestyle business owner, you had mentioned those are good businesses to acquire. They're usually undervalued. They have a lot more potential that's mm-hmm. built up into they, them. They do. You know, um, but the other thing is, uh, and, and I don't know if this is what you were hitting on, but I want to hit on it is, you know, if you are the lifestyle business owner, think about, think about the transition. You know, if you're a first or second generation and you're trying to transition to a second or third generation and you're a lifestyle, you know, business, how well does that transition? You know, if you've never done your financial statements and, and I see this all the time, yeah. people are like, they're trying to sell a business. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let's value, let's, let's do a cash flow valuation. Um, I don't, I don't have any records. Yeah. Okay. So well, that's exactly then- what happens. They, they undervalue themselves and they don't get the same uh, sellout value that they could have. A lifestyle businesses always come in under what they actually are worth. Yeah. And I mean, I relate this to real estate. Like if I'm trying to sell my house, dude, a fresh coat of paint goes a long way. goes a long way. Yeah. And you know, same thing in, if, if I'm a lifestyle business, I look like a, a fixer upper and people are going to come in and they're going to, you know, they're going to undercut my asking price by, you know, 10 grand, 20 grand. And if I would just take a second to spruce up the house a little bit, I might get closer to full asking price. Yeah. Well, um, I'm about out of thoughts. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> We, we we completely derailed you. With, you're, you're, you're still on like, how am I going to make that episode better? <laughs> hey, you just leave me alone and 
uh, go ahead and close out this episode. <laughs> so the, I, I, I do want to, to hit on, I, I I'm going to wrap up with, with this, with this concept. There are weaknesses at every level, whether you are a first generation, whether you're a second generation, or whether you are, are a third generation. Now, now, there are also strengths at every level, but the problem is, is entrepreneurs tend to overestimate their strengths and underestimate their weaknesses. And so the, the concluding thought that I'm going to have is you as an entrepreneur owe it to yourself to understand what those weaknesses are just by nature of you being in that position. If I'm a second generation, I'm going to be you know, overconfident. I'm not going to have the background that the first generation is going to have. I'm going to be, you know, probably formally educated. I'm going to want to try and prove myself. So I'm going to be implementing things. And these are all good things. If I just do the simple thing of taking the time to understand the foundation, understand the core, do the boring stuff, you know, second and third generation, they have a hard time doing the boring stuff. Whereas first generation, they understand the importance of the boring stuff. And, you know, I see this one a lot where I've got a first generational, uh, you know, business owner that they literally, they'll sit down, they'll get into the books and they just, they know they have a ritual, they have a routine and, you know, second and third, they're just like, oh, why waste our time? We don't need to sit there and do those boring, you know, boring reports or boring financials, you know, like, we did, we just need to, to to have vision and and we need to make sure and you know be be agile and and you hear all these you know buzz phrases that are pretty empty and, and I'm like no like that boring routine got them somewhere and you should probably learn their boring routine before you totally dismiss it and say ah it's worthless so anyway you know learn 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 the weaknesses that you have learn why why is it that third generation have such a high failure rate what is causing that so that you know going into it. So anyway, that that's kind of what what I wanted to 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 make sure that our listeners are understanding is just just make sure that you know what uh, you know what those weaknesses are, so that you can guard against them. It's not too hard to figure it out. You're going to be so much better as an entrepreneur if you go into it ready and prepared. Yeah, and I'll I'll second exactly what you said. Is that put enough of your pride aside to recognize the experience and expertise of those that you're buying, acquiring, selling, et cetera, to or from mm -hmm. that will make a huge difference as you move forward and with your venture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate uh, always you guys tuning in. Uh, be sure and subscribe. Be sure and tell your friends, uh, the other uh, people that you know, say, hey, I've got this awesome podcast and uh, we, we, we love to just keep growing those numbers. So thanks so much, guys. Thanks, everyone. Take control of your business today. Go to learndesk.us and search marketing management and money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.